0: Luke chapter eighteen nine to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Jeannie. Here we go. Lee, thank you. It's, it's great to be here and uh, to worship with you. And it's been too long for me. I think it's been nearly two years since I've been down here. But um, I'm going to reminisce a little bit because I can't tell you how wonderful it is to see such a thing as Frio Kids, because when we started down here, we were asked about four and a half years ago, Shirley, you remember this, we were asked about four and a half years ago, would Suby Church come down and take over the, the congregation here at Frio? And there were no Frio Kids, there were no children in arms and so forth, and so what a blessing it is to see what's happening here. So that was about four and a half years ago, and remember when we, before we took it on, before the congregation voted, we put a a few things together, but one of them was, please, because I was asked that meeting, how long until we become autonomous again? (laughs) And I said, five to seven years. I hope you remember that, I remember that. And so we're on track, but it's still gonna take a lot of work. So we brought some friends with us from America, so they have, they have the privilege of traveling the furthest here. We came, Sherry and I came from Subieco. Uh, the Kearneys came from Tennessee, and the Divins came from Texas. But they were part of our church in Galveston. And we were in a church like this, young families, most of them associated with medical community, and, and coming together. And we started out, Now you know, they were there longer than us, but we started out in a rental facility, and we paid rent, and then they called me, and then they paid my massive salary, and then that was, um, that was it. And eventually we were able to move into the old Salvation Army uh, building and, and purchase it for all of $140,000 to get the whole thing. It needed a little work. But uh, again, we, we come together today, and it kind of reminds me. Do you all remember those days? Those were the good old days. So we've been friends with these folks for uh, 32 years. We have to keep count, 32 years. And it's an amazing thing to, to have friends that dear, that long, and to know that we're going to be together in heaven. And so for us, for me, just so you know, I get records every week. Every week I know what's, how many people come, how many people, you know, not how many people give, but we know what you give, but I don't get to see you. And to see the congregation is wonderful for me. And it's not just numbers. I recognize that. So let me encourage you in a couple things. First, uh, there's that old wisdom saying, you know, make hay while the sun shines. This is the opportunity for us to work and to build this church. This is the opportunity. You are, I hope you know, privileged to have Lee Hinkle here and have Andy here. This is an amazing thing for this church. And we were blessed when they came in in partnership with us. And uh, I hope that you're aware of that, that you are blessed to have them here. And so uh, we are honored also to work with them and see how God is working. Uh, I don't know if you saw the news this morning, this had nothing to do with the sermon, but um, Andrew uh, Brunson, Andrew Brunson, familiar with him? So he's an Evangelical Presbyterian Church pastor in Turkey. He's been there for about 20 years. Now I was over there about 20 years ago with Mission to the World. I was sent over with a number of other pastors with Mission to the World and to to see what was going on in Turkey. And we had one Evangelical Presbyterian Church pastor with us at that time. So I know they had an interest. I was seeing the um, the Mission to the World work there. But having said that, this man has been under house arrest for over two years. Uh, There was a failed coup, as you know, in Turkey. And they took the opportunity to put this American pastor in prison and, you know, accused him of having any, something to do with the coup. And it was a total fabrication. He was there to build the Church of Jesus Christ, but by God's grace, bipartisan effort, the current administration worked really hard. He is free today, so praise God for that. But it reminds us of this. It's hard work to build a church. And we sacrifice, and we commit, but those things are worth it. And I do pray that you will recognize the sacrifices that you make, yeah, it's worth it. Build the church for the glory of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, as we pray this morning, we have religious freedom. We can meet here. We are not threatened. I'm not afraid of going to, uh, I recognize Fremantle Prison has been shut down, but I'm not afraid of going there this morning, at least not having to stay. But there are Christians around the world who recognize that when they meet, it is a great commitment. And so let me encourage you, let's look at our brothers and sisters around the world and follow that example. Commit to meeting, fellowshipping, and building the church of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we've got an amazing passage of Scripture we're going to look at in just a moment. Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have of worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life, the one who indeed said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Lord, I pray that you would be building this church for your kingdom glory. Father, thank you for your faithful servants. Thank you for those who volunteer. Thank you for those who are serving the children's ministry right now. Lord, we pray that you would bring others in, not for our glory, but so that they might know you and grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, I do pray for Lee. I pray that you would continue to bless his leadership. Thank you for his commitment to this assembly, this church, and to Fremantle, and I do pray your blessing upon him. And Father... We thank you again that Andrew has been released, that he is safe in America, and he's a living testimony to the sacrifices that we must make to serve Jesus Christ. I thank you for his faithfulness, for his integrity, the fact that he was there in Turkey for 20 years laboring for the kingdom of God. And Lord, we pray for the church in Turkey. We pray that you would indeed Bless it that you would grow it for your glory. And Father, we pray for ourselves. We recognize that no one is here by chance or accident, that we are here providentially by your calling to worship you, to hear your word, to try to understand you better. And I do pray that as a result of being here today, we would all be blessed. In Christ's name. Amen. So the passage of Scripture, uh, we read it, Jeannie read this from Luke 18, and we'll look at that so you can hold that open. But I'm calling this a Titanic Arrogance. Titanic Arrogance. So we're familiar with the, the ship. Everybody knows the ship, the Titanic. Everybody knows it was 14 April 1912. The ship went down. Here's the thing about the Titanic. This was at a time in the world when there was huge optimism. This was before, you know, the Great War, World War I or World War II. This is when we had the Industrial Revolution and technology was really catching fire, taking over, and the Titanic was the epitome of luxury. It was the epitome of human ingenuity. It was a floating monument to the greatness of mankind. It was a floating monument to how great we are, all that we've achieved, all the technology was there. And it was massive, not just luxurious. It was massive. It was the Titanic. And, of course, it had one other thing that was great about that particular ship. It was amazing. It was, of course, unsinkable. It was unsinkable. Now, um, you know on that night, Over 1,500 people died. It wasn't that they didn't have life rafts; They had 20, not enough for for the the amount of people they had, but they had 20. That would serve 1,178 people. They had that many seats on the life raft. 400 of them were empty when they were sent out. What caused the Titanic to sink? Now, you may give the simple answer and say, well, it was an iceberg. Yeah, we we recognize that. But uh, James Cameron, having uh, produced the movie, researched the Titanic, wrote a book about the Titanic, this is what he says. The ship was not destroyed by an iceberg alone. It was also destroyed by a state of mind. This was an unseen force that would ultimately lead to the era's downfall, namely arrogance, arrogance. So this is a true story. It was not the captain of the ship who said this. The captain didn't say it. It was a ship hand. But he was asked, is this ship truly unsinkable? To which he said, God himself could not sink this ship. (laughs) You get the arrogance going on there? What sank the Titanic? Well, there was speed going on. They were going through an ice field. There was an iceberg. But here's the good news, it's unsinkable. But once it struck that iceberg, how long till it goes to the the sea? Two hours and 40 minutes. And it's down. Over 1,500 people died on that particular evening. Why? titanic arrogance. That's what it is. Now, they would have been wise to consider the book of wisdom in Proverbs. So, in Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18, here's what it says. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Think about it. Before you say God himself could not sink this ship. Now, pride creeps in. Pride is one of those things that decent, hardworking people are very susceptible to. It just kind of sinks in. Now, C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis, wrote a classic book called Mere Christianity. He waited eight chapters to describe what he called the great sin. And in chapter eight, he begins it this way is from 1943, so his language, 1943. I now come to that part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. The vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite it in Christian morals is humility. He goes on, he says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice, It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Now, if we don't recognize that, it is the great sin, Is the anti-God state of mind. One of the things we need to say, if we want to be close to God, if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to one day hear these words, well done, good, and faithful servant, pride will not be a part of that. And yet we recognize it creeps in because we're decent, hard-working people. Moral, nice, kind to our neighbor. We don't kick the dog, right? We're that kind of people. And pride can creep in, and so we've got to guard against it. Now, the, uh, al- the alternative, uh, the Christian virtue is called humility, right? Humility. Now here's something. Humility is a tricky thing. To be it is really tricky. Uh, people who stand around saying, I'm really humble, they're, they're in trouble, right? I mean, it's really something you can't just go around bragging about your humility because that doesn't look good. So, but you've heard about the, the pastor, their, their church wanted to honor their pastor. And so they gave their pastor a medal. And it said, world's most humble pastor. But they had to take it away from him. You know why? He wore the medal. <laughs> he wore the medal. You don't get to go bragging about your humility and act like you're still humble. I mean, so, so here's the key. Pride creeps in. What keeps us from pride? Now, we can say pride's bad, let's stay away from that, and we loathe it in other people, according to C.S. Lewis, but what keeps us from pride? So, I've heard a lot of sermons on pride, but sometimes just like, don't be proud. So, what I'm going to give you is a specific application. Now, the other thing we've got to do, first, co- combat pride and cultivate, cultivate humility. How do you cultivate humility? Again, I'm going to give you a specific ways. Please don't walk out and say, well, you told me not to be proud, be humble, but I don't know how to do that. We're going to look specifically at that in this passage, because Jesus is going to teach us. So if you look at Luke 18, and we read that passage, and I'm going to cross-reference it with Philippians 2. Philippians 2 is the great Christ hymn. If you want to memorize a passage of Scripture... Memorize this one, one of the first ones. So get John three sixteen, and then go to Philippians two, uh, beginning in verse five. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read from Philippians chapter 2, two, and hear the word of the Lord, and recognize this is the example of Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, to you and to me. Hear His words. Sorry. How was that working without the microphone? That, that does okay? It's okay. Okay, that's better now. Philippians 2, beginning verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you hear this great Christ hymn, who being equal with God, God in human flesh, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself a servant, he humbled himself, and he served you and me by being that sacrifice on the cross. He was obedient even to death on the cross. So when we think about the example, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. So let's look at Luke 18. Two points. First, we combat pride when we remember the cross of Christ. It's that simple. So Jesus is speaking to those who were uh, righteous and or they were confident in their own righteousness and they looked down on everyone else. And so we have a parable Jesus gives. Two men go to the temple to pray. Now, just so you know... Often, when we would think, you know, they're just going to, you know, the church to pray, we would think, well, they're just going to show up, you know, kind of private devotions. Probably not, that's probably not the case. So twice uh, a day, there would be a sacrifice in a called time of prayer in Jerusalem at the temple grounds. I take it that's one of those two times that these two men go to pray. There's many other people there. But two people go to pray. One who is a Pharisee, the other who is a tax collector. And so we're going to see a a huge difference between them. So in the Western mind, we may think it's private devotions, but no, I think it's what they're called gathering. It's public worship. And Jesus is going to show what perception of religious arrogance is going on. Now, I want to give you one more C.S. Lewis quote before we move to our passage. But C.S. Lewis helps us to understand pride. And he says this, pride is essentially competitive, just so you know how to identify it in your own life. Pride gets no pleasure in having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. In other words, We don't go and compare ourselves if we go to a developing country and we see somebody in poverty and say, Oh, I'm richer than you. No, we look around, people of Australia, and we can look down on those that we're we're better off and we're better looking too, and smarter and harder working, and that's pride creeping in. And so that's what we need to understand. It's comparison. So what we're going to see in our passage today is two people go to the temple to pray, two men. Now, one a tax collector. Let's start with the tax collector. In their mentality, now now we recognize even today, no one really loves the tax collector, but in their day, the tax collector had a a special place of disdain in everybody's heart. We're familiar in um, in Australia, and especially in WA with the Hoon Laws, right? What's a hoon? Someone who's antisocial, often using their car, and way over the speed limit, endangering people, not caring about society, being a, a public nuisance. So you're familiar, I assume you are, that if you're a hoon, the government can take your car, they can resell it, they can smash it, but you lose it. And when that happens, and I looked it up, 2016, uh, that was the most recent, there were 1,600 cars confiscated from hoons in W.A. And we have sympathy for none of them. In other words, they got what's coming to them. It is antisocial. And you lost your car? Good on you, mate, because we don't really care about that. Now, what about the tax collector? He's considered a traitor to the Jews. And he has that, that right to be able to extort or legally take money from others. We are again in our society, look in the news today, there's a royal commission. The banks, you know this, the banks have been charging for financial services to who? Dead people. And now they're you know going before the Royal Commission trying to answer: why are you charging for financial services? to dead people when you know it's of no benefit and they never ask you to do this. So that's kind of how we look at it and say, yeah, you're going to get penalized? Good on you, mate. You got what's coming to you. When people look at a tax collector, not an upstanding citizen, traitor to the nation, he has a right to, in essence, steal, and he dies. And no one has sympathy for the tax collector. Now, the Pharisee, for us who are New Testament Christians and we've read the New Testament, we recognize, you know, Pharisees, we, we may not have the best thought about Pharisees. But in Jesus' day, a Pharisee was a, a spiritual rock star, right? Spiritual rock star. These people are the people that you idolize in terms of they really got it together spiritually. They're the ones who are really showing us the way. So this Pharisee, what does he say? Well, I I fast twice a week. I tithe everything I get. Everything. This is not a bad dude. Come on. This guy's doing the walk. He's spiritual. He fasts twice a week. Tithes on everything. Now, if you can raise your hand and say, yeah, I do that too. I'm impressed. But you think about the other people. They hear this and they pray out loud. It wouldn't be unusual to pray out loud. Both the people are going to pray out loud, by the way. The Pharisee prays out loud and people are impressed. Twice, fast twice a week, dies on everything he gets, 10%, everything goes to the Lord. He's impressive. He stands by himself, you notice. The text says he stood by himself. Why? Well, he doesn't want to associate with the riffraff. That's like us. I mean, he's going to stand up because he's super spiritual. He doesn't want to rub shoulders with the rest of us because he's super spiritual. And he prays. By the way, the tax collector is going to stand by himself as well, but for another reason. He prays, and he begins with what sounds like a very biblical prayer, Old Testament prayer. I thank God. I'm going to get you to, uh, if you want, turn with me to um, Psalm uh, 118. In the Old Testament, the the Hebrew construction is very close to the same prayer. And Psalm 118 begins like this. Give thanks to the Lord, or I thank God, for He is good. His love endures forever. So I thank God that his love endures forever because he is good. Now the Pharisee prays and he says, I thank God for me. Hey, I'm thankful for me. I'm not like other people. Adulterers, evildoers, or even like this tax collector. I thank God for me. So it's not a biblical prayer, by the way. You don't find that in the Old Testament. Honestly, a prayer of Jewish piety would typically be a prayer of thanksgiving or praise to God for all of his gifts, and then a petition for the worshiper's needs. You see neither of those in this passage, do you? I thank God for me, and here's all the things that I do. He doesn't need anything from God, because I thank God for me. The primary marker of pride is I. You know that. Go over to uh, Isaiah 14. And we have this passage where it speaks about the king of Babylon, but we recognize it's is probably looking at the fall of Satan, Lucifer himself. And he says in verse 13, You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. Notice these, I will. Verse 14, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I will. I will. I will what made the devil the devil pride pride but then the prophet isaiah speaking under the inspiration of the holy spirit says this but you are brought down to the realms of the dead to the depths of the pit in other words we're going to see this again those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So that's the first guy. Now I told you we're going to talk about how to combat pride. What do you do? Let me just say this. For human pride, one of the things that we need to remember is this. Remember the the Titanic. Before you get so arrogant again and say, oh, this ship's unsinkable. Whatever we do, we're unstoppable. No one can touch us. Before we come to that place of pride, remember the Titanic. But what do we do to help us to combat pride? And I want to say this specifically. The practical cure to the problem of pride is the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember the cross of Jesus Christ. The great hymn writer, Isaac Watts, and again, these are some of these great hymns. I don't say this just because I've got gray hair. I say this because they're great hymns. We need to keep them in the church. We've got to keep singing them because they're too important for us. He says this, and no one said it better. Uh, Isaac Watts put this in in the 18th century. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt. Notice I pour contempt on all my pride. When I look at the cross of Christ and I see how God the Son humbled himself and became a servant for me and he gave him life, his life for me. How can I be prideful? Anything I've ever done. Anything. Verse 2, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Anything that I've accomplished, and I may be able to say, I'm smarter than you, better looking than you, richer than you, cleverer than you, whatever it is, but he says, whenever I start to boast, I need to think about the cross of Christ. And I just bring those things to the cross because I've got nothing except my own sin when I come to the cross. And all I can do is just hold my hands out and ask for God's grace, and he gives it freely to those who come to him. It is amazing grace. How do we combat pride? You remember the cross. Whenever you start comparing yourself and saying, well, yeah, I'm smarter than that guy. I work harder. I've done more. Remember the cross of Christ. Here's the second idea. Humility is cultivated in worship and service. So now let's talk about the tax collector. Standing far off, away from the crowd. Why? Because he's not worthy to be with you in this room. He would not feel worthy to sit in one of these pews with you because he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's not worthy to just come and enter boldly into the presence of God because he knows he's an absolute sinner. He knows it. And so in his shame, he stands far away. He won't even lift his eyes to the heavens, but he beats his breast, a symbol of utmost humility. And the prayer. Now remember the tax collector, about five lines. I'm sorry, the Pharisee, about five lines. Tax collector, one line. One line. Simple prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What an amazing prayer. If you don't know how to pray, just learn that one prayer. What a great prayer. God... Have mercy on me, a sinner. In other words, you are God, I'm not. I'm not even worthy to come into your presence. He stands afar. But the sacrifice has taken place. And in this text, there's a particular word there, uh, even in terms of mercy, that's looking at an atoning sacrifice. So you say, Lord, I need an atoning sacrifice for my sin. And here's what we know, Jesus Christ is that sacrifice. What a great prayer. Sometimes we pray for revival in Australia, and I I do pray that that's part of your prayer. How's revival come? I think 2 Chronicles 7.14, great place to start. If my people who call by my name will do what? Humble themselves. That's number one, humble themselves. Because God values that. And if revival is going to start in Australia, it's going to start in the church. It's going to start when we as God's people humble ourselves. Then humility will show the way. And God blesses that. And that's what we want to pursue. So we want to cultivate humility. How do you do that? Again, don't wear a badge and say, I'm a humble person. It doesn't work that way. How do you and I cultivate Humility. Two ways. You worship God with all your heart. Here's the truth Jesus said it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be awesome. You know, I get attendance records from this assembly every week, and it kind of goes up and down. I'm just going to challenge you, unless you have that, that good doctor's excuse or whatever, be in worship, please. Come worship the Lord because that's how you cultivate humility. You come into the presence of God and you recognize there's a great God, creator of heaven and earth, and there's a Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sinners like me, and He rose again the third day, and I'm not worthy to worship Him. I'm not honored. I'm not here. And God says, Wow, what a great joy to see. No, we're there because we need it. And if you're not cultivating worship in your life, You're missing it, because that's how you cultivate humility. You come into the presence of Almighty God. And you recognize Him for who He is and how amazing His grace is. Pride focuses on me. Pride looks in the mirror and says, I thank God for me. But humility focuses on God and recognizes the greatness of God. And recognizes the gospel, which is, I come into the kingdom of God as a sinner saved by grace. By the way, we all come in the same way. We all come in the same way. And we need to be aware. You come as you are. It's not what you do. It's what Christ Jesus has done for us on our behalf. We put our faith and trust in him. So first, you worship God. Let me point out again, I want to encourage you. And so I know, preachers, all you do is you come and you ask for money. Uh, Again, just so you know, any money given here stays here. Subi Church counts it, goes to our bank account, but it always stays here. But I am saying, be generous in your giving. That's part of your worship. Where your treasure is, Jesus, I didn't say this, Jesus, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Be a generous giver to this church. Build the church. Worship in the church. But that's part of your worship. Let me encourage you in that. Second, serve. You serve. I'm not saying that out of pride. I'm saying that out of humility because the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the things that has to happen in a church like this is lay people have to serve. If you don't come with the idea of serving, I'm not sure who's going to do it. And again, being in a church like this, trying to grow a church like this in Galveston, Texas, we got our people to serve. So we were reminiscing with the Carnies and the Divins the other night, and there was a, a guy, so he's coming to medical school, So he's finished university top of his class gets in the medical school at university of texas the medical branch in galveston he shows up one week in a suit realizes we don't wear suits this is a beach community kind of like australia we don't wear suits so the next week he comes and jack carney comes up to him and says hey now that you're here can you start cleaning the church and we'll put you on the cleaning schedule because we can't pay for a cleaner and so we put him on the cleaning schedule this guy who's training to be a doctor, you know, you're training to be a doctor, good. You finished top of your class, great. Here's a broom, sir, you know, sweep the church. And, and so I'm getting on Jack and saying, why did you wait for week two? Why didn't you ask him first week? I mean, you're, you're getting kind of lazy here, right? But the idea was this, and, and by the way, all these folks that came with us today, they were amazing servants in our church. And, uh, and two of them, very esteemed doctor, another one a physio, But they all served, and they cleaned the church. And when we were finally able to buy a piece of property, they were out there cutting the yard and everything else because we couldn't afford it, but these people who are going to be very highly recognized in the community one day, they learned to serve. And it really didn't hurt them, actually, but it made them part of who they are. And I'm just telling you this. If Jesus Christ, God the Son, comes and serves you, you need to be serving in the Lord's church. Honestly. And you need to be serving in the community. If you just show up and wait for people to serve you, that's not the right picture. Where can you serve? Look at your gifts, your talents, your abilities. And look at what needs to be done. And then do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. So at, at Subi Church, now we're, we're doing this thing, we're really pushing Subi Serves. It's one of my passions. It's a goal last year, it's a goal this year, we're trying to get every single person, use your gifts, talents, abilities, passions, wherever they are, you serve. Serve in the church, because you've got to serve the body of Christ. No one else is going to do it. You know, the council's not going to meet and say, what can we do for Subi Church, Our for Frio Church? you got to do it, this group here. And then we got to go out and we serve in the community because that's our example. Christ serves us and we serve others. And when you do that, what are you doing? You're cultivating humility. Isn't that great? You are cultivating humility in your own life. Now here's the thing you need to recognize, and I want to quote Jesus on this, just so you know I'm not just saying this. Here's what Jesus said, In verse 14, two men come to the temple to pray. By the way, they both go home justified, don't they? They both go home justified, one in his own eyes, one in his own eyes. He was righteous when he started. The other one in God's eyes. So this is what we see. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, the despised tax collector, the one that you mock and scorn and despise every time you see him, that man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. What was his prayer? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm not worthy. I'm just a sinner. And then Jesus gives this statement. Understand it. Underscore it. Make it part of your life. Because many of us here as followers of Jesus Christ want to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to hear those words. Who's he going to say those to? Look at the end of verse 14. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. You're not hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. You exalt yourself, you need to be served, you just, need to, you just show up at church, you don't need to really worship God with all of your heart, mind and spirit. Don't ever plan on hearing those words. Won't happen. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what do you need to do to hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Combat pride. You cultivate humility. And you can do it. We can do it together. And we work at it together. We spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's what we will be about. We will be about building the church of Jesus Christ because that's why we're here. And we have a purpose and a mission and a calling. And we do it faithfully and we do it joyfully. You know what? God will bless that. He will bless it. So we're not there yet at Suby Church. I mean, I still have people ride me on a, almost a weekly basis. Okay, what do you want me to do? And so again, I say, well, what are your passions? What are your talents? What are your abilities? And if you can't find that, here's a broom. We'll help you to figure out something. But in other words, we're going to help you find something. But please look for where you can serve Jesus Christ. Please look for where you can serve this community. Some of you are prayer warriors, and that's what this church needs. But you serve one another in prayer but you do use your gifts, your talents, your passions, but you do it. When we serve one another, and I'm going to close with this, Jesus said, you do unto these, the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. You're serving Jesus Christ. You're cultivating humility. You're combating pride. And what we long to hear, and we're working to hear, we strive to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this amazing word from God. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and how he teaches us the way, the truth, and the life. I do pray for each one here. Lord, you know where we are You know, our temptations and our trials, and some of us are struggling. Working. But I pray that we would follow you in humility. For your burden is light, your yoke is easy. That you will be with us every step of the way. Father, I do pray for myself, for all of us. We know that pride creeps in. Guard our hearts. Lord, teach us humility. Teach us through our worship. Teach us through our service. But I pray that we would be a blessing to this church and this community. And Lord Jesus, we long to hear those amazing words from your very lips. One day, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that many from here would hear those words. In Christ's name, amen.